Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word so that we can know you more fully. Heavenly Father, we've heard some really strong words this morning from your word. And so I pray that you may help me to speak your word clearly this morning. And we pray that you'll help us hear your word, your voice clearly. Help us fully grasp what it really means to follow you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Something is wrong with Western Christianity. Here at Abbotsford Presbyterian, we preach grace, we love grace, we're saved by grace. A grace being that the undeserved is loved by God through Jesus Christ. And that grace that saves us is the grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. But the reality is... So often in Western Christianity, grace has been reframed to the point where grace leaves us unchanged. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was killed by Hitler near the end of the war, described this was his problem during his day for his fellow Christians. And he calls this reframed grace... Cheap grace. Bonhoeffer said this. A cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. It's wanting to take the gift of salvation without really wanting the giver. It's grace that justifies the sin rather than the sinner. It's grace that's happy to become like the world, even though the world hates Jesus. Now this cheap grace uh, is what we see the three men at the end of this passage wanting to have. And if we look more closely at what Jesus is saying to them, Uh, We see that these guys, they don't fully understand what following Jesus actually means. And so as we delve into this passage for ourselves this morning, uh, we're going to see what it means for us to be a real follower of Jesus. uh, A follower that's shaped by real grace. Uh, This morning we're going to see three things. We're going to see uh, Jesus resolutely setting off to Jerusalem. We'll see Jesus' response to Samaritan rejection. And then we'll see how Jesus takes first priority over everything. But first, some context of where we are in this book. Uh, In the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel... Luke has been documenting Jesus' public teaching ministry around the the town of Galilee, as well as the miracles that he's performing. And and through these chapters, Luke is trying to make it really clear that Jesus is the Son of God. Then we hit chapter 9, verse 20, the penny finally drops for the disciples. And they now recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the Messiah, God's special king. Well, we come to this uh, first verse of our passage, verse 51. And verse 51 
It's a watershed moment in Good Luke's Gospel. It's a hinge where everything now turns on this point. Verse 51, it is now time for Jesus to make his way to Jerusalem. So from this point on, Jesus begins a journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And this journey will take the next ten chapters of Luke's Gospel. Now verse 51 actually literally reads, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. It's an expression that indicates firm resolution, a complete determination, as Jesus is committed to do everything he's called to do. To die in Jerusalem for our salvation. To die in Jerusalem to take the punishment for our sins. You know, when when I see pain, I tend to run. I tend to avoid, I tend to medicate, uh, I tend to deny. But when Jesus sees Jerusalem, even though it's going to be really painful for him, well, he sets his face towards it and never looks back. Nothing will deter him, nothing will distract him from doing what he's called to do. So you see, this journey that Jesus is on, it's not just geographical. It's spiritual as well. And for the next ten chapters, all of the teaching that you're going to experience the next few weeks has the shadow of the cross over it. You can never forget that everything that you're going to read is shaped by where he's headed. And in a sense, Jesus is calling us to follow him on this journey to Jerusalem, to the place where he's going. Now, did you notice in the text that Jerusalem isn't just about Jesus dying? Verse 51 says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. You see, Jesus will reach everlasting glory But it will be by way of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has to come first. You see, for Jesus, after the cross comes resurrection. After suffering comes glory. Well, we come to the second point. We find that Jesus is met with rejection, courtesy of the Samaritans. And the reason why these Samaritans refused to receive Jesus was precisely because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Now there's a cultural background to all this. Uh, The Samaritans were the half-cousins of the Jews, and they believed that to worship God, it wasn't at Jerusalem, but it was in their own Mount Gerizim. And there was a long history of conflict over this issue and other things as well. I can't tell you the level of hatred between these two people. It's like the Palestinians and the Jews in Israel right now. It's venomous. And so the last thing a Samaritan would do is to help a Jew get to Jerusalem. Well, before we see Jesus' response, we see the response of James and John. 
And they want to do something about this rejection. Uh, please have a look at verse 54 with me. Verse, verse 54 says this. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Uh, what we see here is the typical Jewish response to Samaritans. The, start, the disciples here are instinctively thinking vengeance and judgment. But Jesus rebukes them. He's telling them off for thinking this way. Why? Because this isn't a time for judgment. No, for Jesus, it's a time for mercy. It's a time to offer grace. It's a time for repentance. You see, James and John actually misunderstood Jesus' mission. They didn't understand that for as long as there's breath, there's hope. They didn't understand that the enemy of Jesus today may well become the friend of Jesus tomorrow. And surprise, surprise, if, you keep re- if we read the book of Acts, which is the second volume of Luke's gospel, in Acts 8, well, who are the first non-Jews to accept Jesus as their king and saviour? What's the Samaritans? You see, the very people who said no to him, a couple of years later, is going to say yes to him. So, good idea for not destroying them. And what we see here, it's actually a reminder to us to keep our loved ones who don't know Jesus close to our hearts. And in our prayers. I encourage you, please pray for them every day. Because like back then, now is the time for grace and repentance. Well, we come to the third point. Where we meet three prospective followers of Jesus. And there's something to teach us about what it really means to follow Jesus. And what we see in these verses is that there's no cheap grace here. And Jesus, he pulled no punches here. He wants to make sure that those who enter the kingdom enter with their eyes wide open and not shut. But unlike Jesus, who had a single-minded devotion in setting his face toward Jerusalem... These three guys had their faces twisted in two directions. Uh, Let's look at the first guy. And we see that if we're to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to give up our security. Now it seems like this guy would have followed Jesus anywhere. Yet for all his confidence, the man didn't count the cost of discipleship. It seems like that he has no inkling of the way of suffering that Jesus would undergo. And Jesus calls him to give up everything that gives him security in order to follow Jesus. Now that's a really big ask. But 
That's, what's, that's part of what it means to put Jesus first in our lives. That Jesus is the one who's to be the foundation for our security, not in the things we own or the home that we live in. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean that we're not allowed to own property. Uh, by God's generous grace, God often blesses us with material possessions that we can use for his glory. And I'm, I'm not saying that we don't enjoy the good things in life that God gives us. But what I am saying is that we're to sit loose with our possessions. To not allow earthly things get in the way of true discipleship. To not put our security of who we are in these earthly things. But to put our security in the one who saved us. So this actually means that we're not to make ourselves too comfortable in this world. It actually means that we're not to make this earth our actual home per se. It's not to make our house our heaven. It will actually mean being missional with what we have. Using your gifts for God's purposes. Two, invest in the work in the gospel to provide for those who are in need. Now, all of that is hard to do. I find this hard to do. But as a follower of Jesus, we're to die to ourselves every day. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and putting him first in everything. Uh, we meet the second guy. And we'll see that he wants to also follow Jesus. But to follow Jesus, we understand that family has to come second. And when Jesus asked the second guy to follow him, the guy responded saying, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now notice, like the first guy, he wants to follow Jesus. But for this guy, he wants to negotiate the terms of his discipleship. And you see there in the verse there, the word first is important here. Because it shows us where this man's priorities are. He wants to honour his family before he follows Jesus. How did Jesus respond back to this man? Well, please check out verse 60 with me. Verse 60 says this. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, if you're not squirming in your seat at this moment, even just for a little bit, if you're not squirming, I don't think you're listening properly. This guy's request seems quite reasonable, yet what Jesus says back is shocking. Now, Jesus is using hyperbole here. That is, it's exaggerated statement. It's shocking language. It's to get your attention. It's to get under your skin. Jesus is saying here, have I got your attention yet? Please understand the type of disciples that I'm looking for. They're the ones who will make a 
profound break in order to be absolutely loyal. I don't come alongside your spouse or your kids or your parents. Now, nothing's more important than family except me. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, in all of this, there's something of the cultural background that we need to understand here. Because it's actually very likely that for this second guy, his dad isn't dead yet. And because if this guy was here and uh, if, if, if he wants to, what he's actually asking, sorry, what he's asking Jesus here is that he wants to wait until his father passes away so that he can bury him. And then he'll become a disciple of Jesus, whenever that may be. In a sense, it's procrastination. And so Jesus has discerned with this guy that he's using his family situation as an excuse to delay his discipleship. You know, the thing that can actually hinder us sometimes from following Jesus isn't always sinful. Sometimes it's actually something good. But nevertheless, it can get in the way of what God really wants us to do. So if it, com- if it comes down to a choice, as it sometimes does, we must do what Jesus wants us to do, not what our family wants us to do. Our commitment to God is to, to be set even higher than the commitment due to our family. That's how radical our commitment to Jesus needs to be. Well, it's in this context that the third guy speaks to Jesus on the Jerusalem road. You see that in verse 61. Please read that with me. Verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Unlike the second guy, who uh, this guy didn't need to have the need to wait for his father to die before he could follow Jesus, he was willing to go much sooner. But first, and there's that word again, he wanted at least enough time to say goodbye. And again, this actually seems like a reasonable request. Hmm, As a matter of common courtesy. Surely it's appropriate for this guy to go back home and say goodbye to his family. And there's actually a a good biblical precedent to this. Uh, In 1 Kings 19, uh, when Elisha, who was the protege of the Old Testament prophet Elijah, Elisha, when answering God's call to leave his family farm to follow Elijah, well, Elijah gave Elisha permission to say goodbye to his family. And Elisha went home, he burned his plough, slaughtered his oxen, held a farewell feast for his family and friends. But did you notice what Jesus said to this third guy? Uh, Please check out verse 62 with me. Verse 62. No one who puts a hand to the plough looks back is fit for uh, the service in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus may have had this incident from Elisha's life in mind when he said these words. When he said those words, 
putting your hand on the plow when he was talking to this third guy. And the point that Jesus is making with regards to this plow is that the best way to plow a straight furrow is to keep looking ahead at a fixed point in the distance. Because if the farmer looks back, then they'll end up zigzagging all over the countryside. Now, as always, Jesus knows people's hearts. And for this third guy, if he was to go back home, he would have been tempted to stay. You see, something else was first in his heart. And knowing this, Jesus told him not to go back, not even for a moment, but to follow him by the way. Sometimes we wrestle with that same temptation sometimes. Sometimes we're tempted to look back at everything we used to love. And for most people, those who look back want to go back. And if we keep second-guessing our decision for Jesus, or looking back fondly on our old affections, or even worse, going back to the places where we used to sin then we'll never get anywhere with Jesus. Jesus' shocking statements here, they show us how serious the decision is to follow him. The path of following Jesus, it, is, it isn't a part-time job. No, it requires radical commitment. Now, as we consider these three would-be disciples, it's hard not to wonder what became of them. Did they ever decide to follow Jesus? Was the first man willing to be homeless for the sake of the gospel? Was the second man, did he let the dead bury their dead so he could preach the gospel? Did the third man go home and say goodbye to his family? Or did he start following Jesus right away? It would be interesting to know what they all did, but Luke doesn't tell us. And maybe he's done that because his main concern is to help us write the ending of our own story, the story of our journey with Jesus. And so if you're here and you're not following Jesus yet, can encourage you to not be like the Samaritans, to not be like any of these three guys in this passage. Please don't put Jesus off, not even for another day. Please don't let security or family or anything else stop you from having a relationship with the creator of the universe where you can experience the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting in glory. If you want to find out more, please make sure you chat to myself or Peter M or Carmen after church this morning. And if you're here and you are following Jesus, what does being a follower of Jesus look like for you? Well, it will be different for each person here. For some of you, you'll be called to serve 
where you are. For some of you may be called by God to give up the security of home and family, to serve him in places far away, to maybe be like Ben and Lorian, who are our gospel partners serving in West Asia, who's recently visited us. You too might be called to proclaim the gospel overseas. However, what is the same for all of us is that Jesus is to be the first priority over everything else. That's what it means to be shaped by the real grace that Jesus offers. Now you might keep asking the question, is it worth it? Oh yeah, you bet it is. And you know why? Because like Jesus, after suffering comes glory. And the Jerusalem that we're heading for, it isn't the one in the Middle East, but it's the new Jerusalem in heaven. But until we get there, there will be a quota of suffering for all of us as we follow Jesus. But because it's worth it, can I encourage you? Have your face set towards Jesus and don't look back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who set his face to Jerusalem where he gave up his life so that we can be forgiven that we can have eternal life with you in glory forever. Thank you that you want us to come into relationship with you on your terms, with our eyes wide open. Heavenly Father, we recognize that there's no cheap grace and that you call us to deny ourselves and to follow you. And we confess those times when we don't have you first in our lives. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll keep transforming us by your grace, that we might have the strength to put you first. And we pray you help us to remember that it is worth it. We thank you that there is not an earthly Jerusalem, but a heavenly Jerusalem that awaits us. And for that certainty, we thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.